Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. And you are welcome along to the huddle breakdown. Uh, due to the B team being stuck here again for what's the first time, Alan, in what, maybe six weeks? maybe a couple months even, that uh, our famed producer is not joining us and host. And there's been a lot of rampant speculation about what happened the last couple of weeks. There's talk of him going on strike, us having sacked him. Uh, you know, I can neither confirm nor deny any of those rumors. Uh, you know, this seems uh, to I be thought it was a, rumors. I thought it was a third division Italian team he was going to. Uh, it could be. You know, some, somebody offered him uh, multiples of zero that we offer him, and and uh, he just can't turn it down. So it's hard to say. But uh, uh, no, and and is otherwise obligated uh, today. Um, Alan and I both have uh, calendars which don't allow later, and as you can tell by our looks today that we're a bigger mess than usual. Um, <laughs> I said, Alan, before we went live, this is what I look like when my wife's out of town for a week. Um, <laughs> so yes. completely. A bigger mess than than a fat, ugly mess than normal. So, well, let's, let's my excuses. I wasn't expecting us to do this today, so that's why I didn't have a shave. So, apologies for that. I mean, yeah, yeah. We... All these people are complaining about my camera. Hopefully, this one's a bit better. But unfortunately, it's a bit more real now. So that's probably going to put a few. People yeah, you're going to have so. to go to the makeup routine that ends on now. Yeah. But, yeah, yeah. Um, well, let's Get let's dive let, let's dive in. Um, We'll start with another horrible, ugly mess, which was the game over the weekend. Um, so maybe maybe we're we're looking like this out of out of uh, tribute to uh, the Hamden pitch. But um, so g- give me your impressions of um, you know what 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 you felt like watching it, and, and as I don't know if you've gotten a chance to to start uh, breaking the data down, and I'll be a particular interest because as you know. Um, don't get the type of information out of a cup game that, that mm. we do at a league game. So I'll be really interested to, to hear what your take is. Yeah, no, it was, it was, it was pretty horrible. Um, you know, even watching it, it, it was quite tense. Um, it certainly wasn't a lot of comfort in the game. It, it, it was, as you said, a horrible, a horrible mess. And, um, you know, pretty much, pretty much all of our own doing, I would say. Self-inflicted uh, mess, mostly. Um, why do I say that? So, you know, it was only it was only that last Jackamacus goal at the end that actually tipped the the XG in Celtic's favour. Um, you know, thirteen shots at goal. Kilmarnock had three on target, and that's from twenty eight percent possession. But the crucial 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 sort of piece of data that really tells the story of the game for me. Is the is the packing data uh, because for the first time um, this season, and I've not looked back. It could be the first time for years, or even the first time ever, in a domestic Scottish game, uh, Celtic were actually uh, you know had had a lower packing score than than the, than the domestic opposition. Now, to give you some idea, this season, if you look at the sort of packing total packing score for the opposition and for Celtic. Um, the games where Celtic have had a massively negative uh, on that metric would be Real Madrid, Leipzig, Leipzig, Real, uh, Shakhtar, and Real Madrid. <laughs> okay, well that tells you something. It also tells you because you get indications. Well, how- the, I, I remember this game from when my kids were real little. It's one of these is not like the other. So which out of yeah. out of Kilmarnock, Real Madrid, and RB Leipzig, yeah. which one is not yeah, like the other? Exactly. So I mean, this is why it also gives you a, a bit of a crude 
introductions to why packing is so important because you clearly you, you can see it's a good indicator of, of team quality. I mean, the closest that a domestic opponent has got to Celtic this season would be Hearts away, where there was only a difference of 10. And then the recent game at Ibrox, where there was a difference of 22. Uh, but those were the, and those were the only games in Scotland until today, till the Kilmarnock Cup game, where the packing score in Celtic's favour was less than over 100 to Celtic. So what was driving that? Well, there was one thing that was driving that, and that was turnovers. And, you know, we, we just kept turning the ball over. And we kept turning the ball over in dangerous areas, which also helps explain some of the chances that Kilmarnock, uh, Kilmarnock had. And, you know, it wasn't it wasn't like it was a, a sort of um, something that everybody was doing. It was really uh, it was really contained within uh, one part of the pitch. And I, I hate to to use the phrase again, but we seem to have created a toxic combination on the left hand side of the pitch, because you've got Starfelt, who every game pretty much without fail will at least once, sometimes twice, pass, just simply pass the ball straight to an opponent uh, under no pressure at all. Now, you know, you look at this is where your passing stats are quite interesting because if you look at Starfield's passing stats, I think he gave the ball away. Uh, he had 96, 97% passing success, 90 completed passes. He only gave away two passes, and, one of, and both of them nearly led to goals. <laughs> one of them to McKenzie, and one of them to, to Lafferty, who tried to score from like 50 yards. Now, if that had been Vinicius Jr., or Christopher Kunku that had been the recipients of those passes, you can pretty much guarantee that would have been that would have been a goal. So you can't say you can't look at the passing stats and go, well, Starfelt gave the ball away. You know, two passes, ninety-seven percent, but both passes took nearly took the whole Celtic team out of the game and provided chances for the opposition. Next to uh, Starfelt, you've got Burnaby. Now Burnaby's a young player. I think we're still trying to get our heads around you know what this young lad's like. But one thing we can see. For sure, is it? My, my goodness, does he give the ball away a lot? And again, you know, it's just more more volume with him. I mean, you know, seventy two passes he attempted, eighty seven percent complete. Um, but in terms of number of turnovers, you know, he he gave the ball away uh, a tremendous amount. He gave it away, I think, uh, three times in the first half. He, he did redeem himself by winning the ball back a couple of times in the second half, and then and then. Uh, next to them in midfield, we've got our good friend Rio Hitati. And again, nobody in the midfield gives the ball away more than Rio Hitati. He gave, he gave the ball away five times for turnovers and he didn't recover it once to force a turnover for the other team. So when you've got those three in combination, you've got a systemic weakness there. And, you know, Kilmarnock punted ball after ball onto, the, onto that corner. And, um, you know, they got a good start because they got a bit lucky in, I think, three pa three long passes, which are, you know, a long pass is probably 80-20 in Celtic's favour that they're going to win that. But three times the ball found its way to Armstrong and three times either he did something where they got a cross in or or he was taken down for a free kick uh, from which there was danger on that. And so all, all, all on that right-hand side, Celtic's left. So consequently... You know that that packing score is driven by the number of turnovers, and and although it got better as the game went on, those turnovers were almost wholly focused on that left-hand quadrant of the pitch between those three players. So that that to me is is just a a weakness that any team is going to look to exploit in terms of you know playing the ball into those areas and then waiting for mistakes and then breaking. Now, Kamark don't have this you know the the players to do that effectively. Um, even then, they still created a fair number of chances, mainly from free kicks and th long throws and so forth. Um, but against a better opponent, you know, we, we, and especially in Europe, you know, we'd get ripped to shreds if we played like that uh, in, in, in that way. So, you know, there was a bit of variance that went their way. The weather was atrocious. The, there was a howling gale which Celtic were playing into in the first half, which meant every time Celtic rather stupidly tried to play across into the box, it nearly blew back to the halfway line and obviously every time they got a free kick it was very dangerous because it was swinging in towards uh, Joe Hart's goal but but all in all we kind of survived that really, you know, and didn't, didn't suffer from that in the end um, and, and kind of got through it all okay but it, it wasn't good and then it was very and a, and a few, a few to say, worrying signs there Yeah, it was uh, 
everything you described there, I, 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 what jumped to my mind is that it was a completely different form of uh, the problem, similar that we've talked to against those kinds of opponents in Europe, meaning that the conditions created uh, a situation where changing how you play a little bit from a pragmatic perspective in a one-off game or in a small sample size of games might make sense. Um, and, and to your point, I mean, again, I just thought off the Scout data that I looked at, I mean, we, you know, in those conditions, you could make a, I think, a reasonable argument that you probably want to go long a little more, you know, especially given the inherent issues that we just discussed about, you know, some players maybe not being under the best of conditions, the most reliable players playing out from the back. Um, and then, you know, when you've got, um, uh, uh, cow pies laying all around the, the, the pitch and the bob the ball bobbling and the wind swirling and and gale force uh, uh rain pelting everyone in the face i mean um yeah so our percentage of how often we went long the kind of the average uh pass uh length um weren't not that much different than the game that we played against them two weeks ago or a week ago, I guess it was. Uh, yeah. Meaning that really, if you look at all of kind of the guts of the game, uh, um, the way each team played was actually very similar. Yeah. Um, but to your point, things like the packing score, XG, I mean, the... the um, and I, I think the vast majority of that was the conditions. I mean, I, I think that is a, a reasonable um, explanation. Because I, I don't think they played particularly well um, I mean, they did okay in certain things, maybe a little bit better than they had the prior week. But, you know, as, as we joke, when, when, when you're the underdog, a little bit of the chaos merchant <laughs> is, is, can be helpful. And, um, you know, that definitely was on display given the, the, the complete mess that, that the stadium was in, in so many different ways. Um, what, who else? So obviously with the turnovers and, and the conditions, um, I, I think we, we, we should recognize um, the positive impact of Hart because, again, that could have very easily have been a, an extra time kind of game. And I, I don't want to get bogged. It's up to you. We can, uh, again, despite some speculation, we usually just wing this. So we don't have a huge agenda coming into this. So if you want to tilt this towards uh, some of the, the fun refereeing controversy that <laughs> shockingly unfolded over the weekend, um, we, we certainly can. But yeah, I'll, I mean, I, I think Hearts um, with, with some, you know, I don't think any of them were miraculous saves, but, you know, as he's kind of been at Celtic, he's, he's making the saves that he really should and they're quality saves. Um, and they were well, important, think, important yeah, saves. Yeah, I think in context, the the save that he made from McKenzie, I think, needs to be called out because mm-hmm. that that went through Cartificus' legs, right? So he's got that's a fraction of a second unless he's got time to respond to that. And it was right in the corner. It was wind assisted, and it was off a off a wet turf. So I think that was a tremendous save that he made. I don't think I think he made one other save of note in the second half, um, which I think, given that he parried it close to his body, I don't think was giving him a lot of trouble. To be fair. I mean, it was it was a nasty moment, but I don't think it was a tr- particularly difficult save. But that one from McKenzie was absolutely tremendous, um, and he didn't really have any, you know, um, concerns in terms of you know fielding long balls or crosses and so forth. There was there was very little to, to worry about. So although they had a lot of shots, right? But they were very low xG per shot because there were a lot of gate balls. You know, and, and, and as did Celtic, right? We had we had far too many shots outside the box, or or maybe not enough uh, in in the second half when you've got a howling gale behind you. Maybe that's where you do sort of play the variables a little bit, play the conditions. Uh, we didn't, we, we didn't do, certainly didn't do that very well, uh, certainly. So, I mean, in terms of you know things that went well, I mean, the, the thing was, you know, other than those two moments where Starfield essentially under no pressure passes straight to an opponent who, who in both cases could score in every other aspect of his game, he was excellent, and he was he was easily the best defender um, on you know on the day in terms of you know he seemed to be the one that that, that did all the sort of the mopping up and the clearing and so forth. I think he had six clearances. The next highest was two. You know, he had a his defensive action success rate was 91%, which was easily the highest on the day. You know, 10 successful challenges interceptions was three more, uh, two more than anyone else. So, you know, it's one of those things where, 
he revealed his usual weakness, and and it could have been actually you know it could have been it could have cost us the game, two moments. Uh, but in every other respect, he was he was excellent, and that's I think that's what you you get when you're when you're Celtic in terms of what you can buy for three and a half million or whatever it is. Um, I think Ma- Maeda deserves a mention. Um, you know, I did a, I've done a piece on him, which I'm not sure where it's going to get. I might put it on my own site. Actually, I don't know. But essentially, you know, although we remember some of the goals he scored in the last week, few weeks, it's actually his just overall game that's really stepped up since the World Cup. And it's just his willingness to, to make runs, his willingness to get on the ball. He's being a bit more, less passive and a bit more aggressive in terms of his intent with the ball. Uh, and, and just the fact, you know, he, he was involved in, in, in uh, 19, um, you know, challenges and so forth uh, on the pitch, which was, you know, about seven more than anyone else. So he's, he's just in terms of his, his, his appetite and work rate in that respect as well. But he was probably, the, you know, the best, most successful player kind of off the ball and his movement <clears throat> uh, off the ball. And of course, he, you know, he got a lucky break for the goal, but again, he had to be there and he was in the right place. So I think he deserves uh, credit. Um, my personal man of the match was was uh, Aaron Moy. Uh, uh, he was the most creative passer. He created the most chances. He had the best packing stats. You know, he, 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 when he did go the, give the ball away, it was usually trying to do something, um, you know, att- in an attacking sense with it. Um, so he was probably the best of the bunch, I think, but it wasn't, it wasn't a day for stellar performances. Uh, I'll just mention Jota as well, because my goodness, I mean, he gave the ball away a tremendous amount, but it was always in the final third. But I, I, I don't know whether it's, oh, it's just not happening for him or whether there's something else going on. But I, I'll probably do a piece on him as well, because I, I suspect that since he came back from injury, his numbers are way, way down on what they were before his injury. So I don't know if there's something going on there, but he's certainly one that... Um, uh, you know, just has it hasn't been happening for really, um, and the last one I'll mention is Juranovic because it was a complete shock to me that he would play because it seemed like you know with Johnson being thrown in at Ibrox and then keeping his place for the next game that you know that essentially Juranovic was just on the bench because Rolson was injured because Juranovic is on his way out the door and suddenly he's playing in the semi final and he seems to be and he played well and you know he was very aggressive in his running his his carrying off the ball at the pitch at pace was excellent especially in the first half um so that was a surprise <laughs> and then we'll probably come on to the transfer situation in a little bit but that was something um which kind of you know threw me a little bit because I wouldn't have expected um get, especially as Johnson had played really well in the two games so he hadn't done anything to deserve to be dropped and you know I get the sense with Ange that once you've got one foot out the door there's, there's pretty much no coming back from that so uh, yeah we can maybe interested in your thoughts on that one <laughs> yeah it's um so I, I I actually agree with everything you said there as far as the, the various players um and it, it it's you know it's always interesting um you know it, it get back to the the what I mentioned on heart and the conditions you know people respond this is the human aspect of it which again I I, I always get a nice reputation as ignoring uh, for good reason um not that i ignore it for good reason but that i have that reputation but um is you know for for hart to maintain his comp, a concentration levels which are as always a, a a very specific issue for celtic keepers in the in that kind of an environment um which you know just standing there in that that kind of environment just has to be a miserable thing um and and to stay on top of your game in in those conditions and you know um this is a, a, a an aspect that's very specific to playing in Scotland, which is this time of year, somebody from Portugal or, you know, a kid from uh, Argentina, a young guy, you know, to just show up in in, uh, in Glasgow in those kind of um, conditions and, and play well and, and maintain your focus um, and have that kind of same vigor that someone might have. All I'm saying is it, it wouldn't be shocking if if there's a uh, a distribution of how people respond <laughs> in those kind of situations, uh, particularly given what the, what you're used to with your your background um, and 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 you know just an acclimation process. So again, whether or not Jota's coming back from injury, whether you know whether his head's turned, I, I saw something. Um, 
again, I was just going, I, I was doom scrolling on Twitter with uh, the, the, the Jack Amakis report from uh, Fabrizio yesterday. And uh, one of the ones was, uh, was uh, one of the, you know, I don't know what the per, uh, relative uh, size or scope is in Manchester United uh, uh, fan Twitter, but the, you know, an account with, I don't know, like 20,000 followers said something about uh, Jota should be a target of uh to to uh, i'm sorry it wasn't uh, man united it was arsenal um mm. now, now now that mudrick was going to chelsea that's what it was that uh you know they should be looking at jota so you know he, he he's seeing some of his uh contemporaries that came in when he did kind of starting to depart for greener pastures at least from a player's perspective more money um you know, potentially a, a, a wealthier league, higher profile league, that kind of thing. So, you know, who knows what what's going on behind the scenes. And it's not the question of their professionalism or anything like that. It's just, you know, again, we say it, they're just human beings when, when, when push comes to shove. Um, so, yeah, he, he he's definitely not been as good as um, as has been. And, you know, it, it introduces a good question, you know, because as good as Abad has been in, during his tenure, his his minutes have not really been there. Um, he has not been playing much. And, uh, you know, you've got Haksabanovich, obviously, I think, still injured. His, his coming back's been um, – his timeline seems to have been kicked back. Uh, so we've got, the you know, the James Forrest experience uh, coming back in and him, him being an important um, uh, person in, in the lineup. So – um well let, anything else on the game because again i i think between the weather and you know we can talk about whether the you know uh, some of the calls is handballs and offsides and because again i i that's 100 percent your uh discussion because i have no clue relative <laughs> as i've said the laws of the game and the interpretation they're so vague to me even when i do read them i just have no strong feeling i i mean i have my guttural instincts but you know, <laughs> well, I, 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 um, I did send the uh, Yorkshire Worcester some of the incidents from the two semi finals because there were so many of them, and it's just it's you know, continues to send me that despite having VAR, we've still got all these really unanswered questions. So, n- n- um, only one spoiler from me, and it, it, not related to the Celtic game particularly, but. Um, he certainly felt there should have been uh, two more red cards in the second semi-final than what there were. So, I'll, I'll spoil, you know, slight spoiler alert there. The only other thing I wanted to say about the Kilmarnock game, and this is, and, I, and I'm going to declare up front, this is not my joke. It's a joke I saw somebody put onto Twitter, and I'm sorry I can't remember who it was, but it was just basically about um, Derek McInnes stood there in the rain, and he just was the he's saying he was like he's the epitome of a 40-something-year-old divorcee who's trying too hard and he's been stood up at the bus stop on a Tinder day. <laughs> and that's just what he looked like when he was stood there in his regalia dripping in the rain all afternoon. And I thought that was lovely. <laughs> it was so funny. And again, I can't, claim, I can't claim that's my that's my skit, but I might have embellished it a little bit. I'll uh, maybe add, add it a bit, but <laughs> that was brilliant. <laughs> I mean, well, fair play to listen. You know, two, two, of the, two of the games where we, we this season we've had, you know, um, you know, even, even the five 0 game at Kilmarnock, there was there was some uh, there was some you know the, 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 some of the some of the data was not actually as, as much in Celtic's favour as you might think. So he does. He, I mean, he's played against Celtic so many times now, and he, he does know how to at least make life awkward uh, for Celtic. So you, you've got to get, you've got to give him that. I've been taking the piss there. I'll, I'll give him slight credit for. At least making life difficult for Celtic, but I mean, it was his call to throw on that absolute buffoon Lafferty, who was dreadful, and he really should have had Doig on from the start if he was any way fit, because you know Lafferty is just a, you know, he's a waste of space now at this at this level. I think. Yeah, it, it was. Um, again, I, that, that's where I go back to the conditions. I think uh, a lot of the conditions helped um, amplify the the positives of of you know, his kind of man marking and physicality and, um, you know, basically trying to neutralize McGregor and, and force the ball into other people. When I say neutralize, I mean, relatively speaking, uh, the man marking of him and trying to make us work uh, up, up the sides. Um, 
So yeah, I, well, you know. I, mean, I mean that was painful. I mean that first half when Starfelt was carrying the ball oh, almost to the edge of the area, and then literally, I have no idea what to do because I do not have a creative bone in my body. I've got literally no clue what to do now. It was absolutely painful. <laughs> yeah, it, it, you know it's funny. Whenever that happens, I have um, you know I grew up as a uh, my, my dad and I used to watch the Three Stooges on a Sunday morning. And I always, I, I always hear Three Stooges music <laughs> playing in my head, and uh, Curly doing one of his woo 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 spinning around <laughs> once he gets into that position because it's just like this is, <laughs> this is not going to probably end up in something that's positive. Uh, we'll take not negative as as being a positive in those situations. Um, <laughs> Well, so before let we'll 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 spend some time on the transfer uh, chaos that's unfolding, if you want to call it that. Uh, maybe that's a little uh, uh, clickbaity, um, but uh, you know we've got Saint Mirren coming up um, midweek here, and uh, fortunately it's at home. Um, you know they obviously being the the one side that's uh, you know. Uh, rendered us defeated during uh, the league this this year. So, what what are your thoughts as we head into uh, another probably uh, park the bus experience at uh, at Celtic Park? Yeah, I mean, listen, this is going to be a, a really awkward game, obviously. Um, but I think you know we 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 got ourselves into this mindset when when we used to play Livingston, and then suddenly over the last couple of three games really there's been no 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 dramas as far as playing Livingston is concerned particularly you know and just kind of soothed the worries on that one and I'm hoping that you know with Mirren it will go the same way because you know it's ultimately just the gap in in, in level of player is, is obviously huge but you can't you know I don't, I don't want to dismiss them lightly because they're clearly a very well organized team they play a 3-5-2 in every match they, they don't they don't alter their approach uh, they're, they're going to be playing a lot of long balls. They're going to with three centre halves and, and main up front. They're going to be, um, you know, relying on aerial threat. No surprise there. They'll have they'll have hard runners in in midfield. Although um, I did notice their captain O'Hara went off after about thirty minutes in the game at the weekend. So whether he'll be available or not, I'm not sure. Um, but you know they they lost to Hearts on on the weekend, but by all accounts, you know if you look at the data from the game, I think they had a higher xG. They clearly should have had a penalty for another another handball, where you know it was the, the, the 50 50 coin, you know fell fell tails for Hearts that, that uh, for St Mirren in that in that one. So surprise surprise, um, and you know so they, they, by by all accounts, you know they gave they gave as good as they got on that game, and it was a very very close game. And as I say, they probably should have got something out of it. And before that, you know, they're, they're, they they haven't lost. Uh, they haven't lost in uh, in six league games. Um, now there's only one win in there at home to Aberdeen, three one. Um, but there was you know draws uh, against Johnson, uh, um, uh, draws against uh, the Rangers as well, one uh, one. Um, you know, against Livingston away and against Kilmarnock away and, and at home to Hart. So. You know, these are, that's a good, a decent run of form there. I know it's only one win in in, uh, in seven games, but it's only one defeat as well. And as I say, given their resources, I mean, they're one, they're one of the teams in the league. I think they're the team with the least um, disruption to their lineup. So what I mean is they make the least changes. They've used the less, the least number of players all season. So they've got a pretty settled team. I think there's a lot to be said for that. Um, so, you know, we know what we're going to get, um, we, uh, and, and, and you know there's a little bit of trepidation because I, I still don't think, I still don't feel that this Celtic team, other than arguably the, you know the games against Johnson, they scored four, Hibs against four, you know it's been a long time since we've really blown anyone away and looked really totally convincing, if I'm being honest, and that's because Angie's set such a high bar. I'm saying that I'm not saying that Celtic are in crisis or anything like that, but you know we are, we seem to be in the Bit of the season where we are grinding it out, which, which you know, listen, if I, if I look back over previous seasons, this sort of winter period it is often like that. We've talked about this before. Like you said there's lots of variance around the weather, the conditions. A lot of games are packed in. You probably because of the, all those things, you're starting to get 
more injuries. Celtic are heavily, as you said, reliant on maybe players from environments that, <laughs> with, where there's a bit alien and the conditions are a bit alien and, and all that sort of stuff. So there's a lot, a lot going on in there. But you know, at the end of the day, we've got a much stronger squad. So I just hope we can get back to to, to being a little bit more convinced. I would say I don't want to be dramatic, as I say, by saying we're in a slump or anything. I just because you know, obviously we keep winning, that's great. But I would, I would just like to see the performance level go up, even if we, even if we only win one nil, but the performance is better. I think I'd be happier. Yeah, I'd, I'd say the one aspect of our uh, again when I kind of look at trending um, uh, metrics, which I've done over time. Uh, you know, kind of like moving averages type of stuff just to see if there's any kind of patterns. And there's that seasonality pattern, which, again, I think uh, the weather and, um, you know, the sun only being up for a few hours a day, uh, which I joke is the one six-week period that I lived in Glasgow in my life um, as an adult. <laughs> that was a shocking uh you know, didn't, didn't I, I intellectually, I knew it was going to happen. And then to, to actually be at my, my existence for, for six weeks was a different, different thing. Um, and, and could definitely feel, a, a an impact on, on my mood and type of, you know, that kind of thing. Hmm. Um, but you know, uh, our, our, the, our chance, the amount of chances that we're conceding was so low. It was been, it's been so crazy low under Ange and consistently crazy low against pretty much, you know, almost everybody in the league um, that that has kind of started to tick up a little bit. And it's, it's, I don't, it's not something I'm worried about it, but it's, I think that's part of what, what we're seeing is sort of this kind of, we're floating down a little bit. Uh, I think some of that is the seasonalities, you know, the chaos merchant aspect with the weather turning bad, that kind of thing. Um, but, you know, there is some evidence of that, um, uh, in, in the data that, that kind of, I think, supports um, that inclination that I, I'm guessing a lot of us as supporters feel intuitively. Uh, relative to St. Marin, they've actually done quite well this year um, so far. Again, if you kind of just look at, at season-long metrics, um, they're fourth right now in non-penalty XG differential, for example. Um, you know, there's a wide variance on that relative to results that always happens. But, you know, if you kind of just look at underlying chance creation and concession, and I think they're fourth in um, uh, non-penalty XG conceded. So that they're, given their resources, um, they've done a pretty good job in that regard. And ju again, just to put that into perspective, and this is why, you know, I, I'm not very complimentary of who's managing uh, Hearts, is Hearts has the worst non-penalty XG conceded per game. And it's not even really that close in the league. Um, so I think they're they're getting by with, again, Gordon being a decent shot stopper. Uh, and, you know, they've had some good finishing. They've, they've signed some decent quality attacking players. And they have guys like Mackay that are, you know, pretty good at this level. Um, Unfortunately, I mean, no, I don't think right. any team even have got as many penalties as they have, and exactly, they, they also seem relatively immune to conceding them as well. So they've had, they've had a lot of fortune in that regard. Yeah, one of those old <laughs> the old tilted VAR distributions that seems mm. to be evolving. But um, so yeah, I, I, you know, again, it should be a game. You know, uh, the old two nil <laughs> January grind it out would be uh, probably uh, something I'd be okay with. Um, well, let's go ahead and pivot to the, the 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 tabloid stuff. This is the tabloid section of the show, uh, talking about rumors and innuendo and reading people's minds and motives as far as what they're doing. That's as my hard. dogs go berserk. Yeah, apologies. <laughs> Why don't you have a say on what your yeah. thoughts are on all the rumors this week? While I go to mute. yeah, yeah. So I mean, I think the the main the main one um, main ones are really around Jakimakis and Juranovic and are they leaving and, and and what's the story there? And there just seems to be an awful lot of um, uncertainty about that. Um, the, my reading of it is that um, if you if you go back and sort of look at the timelines, I think it was like the middle of November. Um, it, it, Stephen McGowan in the Mail, who generally has a as a good handle on what's happening at Celtic Park, I think, um, announced that Juranovic, uh, you know, talks have broken down on a new contract. And that was just, there was no explanation given for that, because why, in terms of, you know, the quite obvious question, which is why are you 
negotiating a contract, new contract with someone who's got three and a half years left on their deal. Um, and, and then, you know, on the 3rd of December, we signed Alistair Johnson. <laughs> so, so two weeks later, we've got a new right back, uh, you know, two weeks after it's announced that Juranovic uh, contracts, have, you know, talks have broken down. And then rumours started about, you know, who, who was potentially going to join. Um, we all thought because he'd had a good World Cup and Croatia did well and he was a, a linchpin of that team, that, that that would just accelerate things as far as moving him out the door. And then suddenly it was, oh, he's going to Monza on loan. I was like, what is going on? <laughs> you know? um, so my my reading of it is, and I wrote about this on the Celtic by Numbers site today, is that, you know, what's the most obvious answer, right? So I think if you look back at how the Juranovic transfer came about, you know, we managed to pick up a 27-year-old Croatian international for, for just for just over two and a half million pounds, um, which, you know, was pretty remarkable, actually, in today's market. Um, and if you believe some of the sort of sports salary sites, he's on, a, he's on a good wage by, well, certainly by my standards, probably not by yours, James, but... Um, certainly not, certainly not, certainly not top of the earners uh, in, in the club, and the fact that you know he's we're negotiating a new contract sort of eighteen months later suggests to me that there's been a bit of sort of um, give and take all around, and that there's probably some kind of release agreement of some description. Now, it might not be a specific amount; it might be to do with if somebody from this league comes in for me, then. You, you, you must. You know, this is the limit to which we can. I don't know. I don't really know. But it, the fact that Celtic wanted to negotiate after three and a half years suggests to me there was something they wanted to do to give him more money and get him get rid of a get rid of a clause that was going to be problematic. And for whatever reason, he's decided he doesn't want to do that. And therefore, at that point, my reading of it is, Ange says, "Well, you're either in or you're out. There's no there's no halfway house here. You're either all in or you're all out." And and we we then signed another right back, right? So what's happened since is confusing, but that's my reading of what happened up to that point. And then with Giacomakis, similar, you know, we, we got the top scorer from the Eredivisie. Um, we got him for under three million pounds. Um, he was a very, he is, he remains an excellent piece of scouting in terms of his suitability to play in the system that, that Ange wants. And again, he's got three and a half years left on his contract. So again, early December, it's announced that contract talks have, have broken down. He's rejected a new contract. Seems to be the same position. We've brought someone in. He's not on the highest wages. We've not paid a lot for him. The quid pro quo, I think, is some again some kind of release agreement, and, and it looks like he's wanting to to exercise that. Um, now he's he, he's continued to be picked. It looked like Jakimakis was only making up the number. Uh, so he was only making up the numbers because he was on the bench and. And Johnson was thrown into two games, even though he was straight in the door. So um, again, and Jack Marcus seemed happy enough to be scoring. Neither player has really um, performed like they look like they're sort of, um, you know, down tools or anything like that. No suggestion of that. So it's just a very confusing, a very confusing picture. Maybe they've not had the offers that that they want um, in terms of you know the clubs that have been in for them. Um, and I know you've talked in the past about. The, the sort of cyclical nature of the market and the fact that the market may not be as um, as hot as perhaps we'd like, and that you know there just may not be the offers there that perhaps we wanted. And even even clubs like Barcelona, who are you know got well documented financial issues, them being interested doesn't mean to say they've got loads of money to throw at it. They they're sort of scrambling around trying to register players and being given dispensation by the Spanish FA and all this sort of thing. So there may not be. Is much interest out there, and it may be a, deflate, a slightly deflated market in any case. All of those things may be true, um, but what, what, I, what, I, what I do think the evidence points to is that there has been some kind of release agreements built into these two contracts, hence the need to negotiate at the three-and-a-half-year mark. And for whatever reason, um, you know, um, a parting of the ways seems to have been uh, the outcome of that, but... but that hasn't happened yet. So uh, I don't know. That's my take on it. It might be complete nonsense, but interested in your thoughts as well. Yeah, I, I think um, some kind of mechanism would make sense. And this goes back to, um, again, just trying to be an objective observer of market conditions and 
the reality of where Celtic are in the modern landscape because of, um, you know, the very uh, something I think generally our support is proud of, which is the kind of the Fergus McCann legacy of being fiscally not insane. <laughs> right. So, you know, there's a difference between being in the, in the normal world, being fiscally prudent and, and in football, it's, if you're not insane, you're, you're, you're actually prudent. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, you know, because we run a fairly tight ship on the wage bill structure, um, and that really hasn't shifted much. So, again, if you think about the inflation that's taken place in media rights, which is what's been driving all of this, you know, TV money that flows into these different leagues. Um, and and that what that's done to kind of the, the, the industry wage structure and Celtic have been relatively static over the last 10 years. Um you know, so we're still our tie end earners are still kind of 30, maybe 35 grand a week. Um, and that is not what it was. You know, the industry has probably sextupled that. <laughs> and and the and the skew on that is quite steep, meaning that, you know, the, the top five leagues have detached. And even within that, you're now having the EPL detach in, in almost like an exponential curve. And, you know, so this is what I, what I mentioned last week about the fact that one of the names that's been talked about or, you know, look at who is being discussed as far as maybe in on some of these players that we're supposedly either selling or buying. It's MLS teams, Japanese teams, um, who's, you know, those are salary capped leagues that have very rigid um, wage bill distributions uh, kind of artificially imposed. And that's who we're competing with at this point. Um, Can I just throw in, James, yeah. sorry to interrupt, just throw in as well that, you know, Celtic, are, as, as are all the other clubs in Europe, are also bound by the new financial sustainability rules. Now, you, you, you rightly said that I don't think Celtic's costs as far as salary have materially changed much over a long period, and neither have our revenues. And that's, right. that's, and that's I think, the reason, that's the reason driving why we're not and suddenly... That, yeah, that's saying, why okay, I mentioned we'll, the media, we'll stick, we'll stick, the media we'll, rights piece yeah. of that. Because that—that's where we'll stick, we'll stick everyone on thirty k, you know. Yeah. So, so just just to recap for everyone's benefit, in three years' time, we need to get to a position where Celtics um, spend on footballers essentially is no more than seventy percent of our revenues, and that's and that and that's not seventy percent of our revenue on a good season when we get to the Champions League group stages. Right. That's seventy percent of let's call it an average season, and we've got to decide what average is. So Celtic. There's, there is a there's a there's a there's a undercurrent here. Celtic managing towards those financial sustainability rules. I mean, it's not, and we're not the only ones. I mean, you know, the yeah. press don't like to talk about why Van Bronckhorst and why Mickey 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 Rookie, sorry Mickey Beale isn't um, spending any money. But again, they they're, they're having to operate under the same conditions, and there's no good doing what they did, you know, for the last twenty years, which is oh, we're going to budget for Champions League football every year. Uh, that's the financial sustainability rules have been uh, coded in a way that specifically preclude you doing that. So this is a new reality for Celtic as well. And we might be seeing some of the unintended consequences or some of the consequences, not unintended for Celtic, because we've always stayed within the within the rules. Um, but certainly some of the consequences for Celtic being played out in terms of managing that, that wage cost. I, I don't know if that maybe that, that has an impact as well. Well, and, and again, this is I'm this discussion. My what I'm about to say is purely from the context of, um, you know, the the birthplace of Adam Smith, right? Which is, <laughs> which is the greedy capitalist perspective, and in the sense that, um, I mean, if you look at, for example, you know, you have to think about Celtic running as an operating company. They're they're a PLC. They report profits publicly. They have shareholders, and um, you know, if you look at one of the levers, and again, we, you know, the, the horrible human cost that's been um, the toll of the pandemic and, and and on the back of that, this cost of living crisis and, and the inflation, if, if you look at the season ticket prices of Celtic over the last, you know, 10, 15 years in inflation adjusted terms, the revenues for Celtic are down, right? So that that's, it has not kept up with, uh, so that, you know, I, I get why people complain about higher ticket prices. We all do. No one wants to pay more. Um, but when you're an operating business and the cost of, you know, the water and the, 
keeping the lights on at Celtic Park is doing this. And you can't raise the prices either because your 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 customers can't afford it or you're morally committed to not doing that to your customer base. Some mix of the two. Hopefully, you know, like to think more in the latter. But again, we're <laughs> dealing in the real world, not not um, the pretend one. Um, you know, it, it, and again, we're, we're, we're a business at this point that's selling out every single game. So in that context, could you raise prices and still get customers paying what the higher price would be? They'd piss and moan about it and they'd bitch and moan and rightfully so and understandably so. Right. So there's only so many levers that, that a business can pull in order to raise revenues. And again, within the context of Celtic, we are almost maxing out right now. This is why I focus so much on player trading and all, because that is the only outlet unless there's some, you know, uh, departure into, you know, a a European league of some sort. European and European um, prize money, essentially, you know, qualification for Champions League. That's the only other game changer. But you can't, as we've seen, as as we've seen, that's, that's subject to so many variances out with the, the club's control that you cannot, you cannot put a five-year plan together that says we will um, be in the Champions League every year because we saw we've seen we've seen for real how that plan works. Yeah, and and um, so that 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 you can't count on it. So that again becomes that variable. You how do you budget for it? And again, because we've been run um, whether in the future being imposed on, but we've been doing it that way anyway, reasonably. Um, you know, so th- this is a long-winded way of coming back to this idea of how do you optimize the resources you have? How do you, how do you really, uh, and this is, you know, when I wrote uh, an analysis back in August about, you know, again, maybe the rumors were total nonsense, but that there were maybe some English teams in for Jackamacus poking around at like 15 million. And my point of view at the time was, good God, take that bid. If you if that is there for Jackamacus, you take it. Because you never know what's going to happen with market conditions. Player throws the toys out of the prom, as they say. Again, who knows what's actually happening? But you know, we, we have not had a great track record of selling at great at good times. Whether it was in Cham, whether it was Boyata, whether it was Dembele, um, even Tierney. I mean, we basically you know s- sold someone who was significantly injured and and needed months to recover. Um, so yeah, it's, it's getting harder and harder. And this is why I wrote about three or four years ago, which was the, this industry S curve, as far as the, the efficiency in player trading is only going to get worse for us, not better. Um, and, and so, you know, the price tag, whether it's a release clause, I'm actually skeptical that it's a hard, fast price number. Mm -hmm. I, I, I think it's, reasonable that they're whether it's a handshake agreement because again how are you going to get some of these players to come play for celtic in scotland right now relative to go you know selling the champions league obviously is a huge uh benefit but to your our point that's not guaranteed um playing for Ange, the style of play if you're an attacking player you're going to pad your stats that's something that you can sell but as we see with jack amacus potentially the market is not comprised of all dumb people you know, they're going to know that playing for Celtic under Ange, you know, there, there was a, I retweeted it, um, Statsbomb put out that out of all of their leagues, Celtic have the best XG differential in their model. And they cover like 80 leagues around the world, right? That's not because we have the best players in the world, <laughs> right? Uh, it, it's because there's something else going on there. And and so it, it it's... You know, how, how, how do we optimize what we have to offer in order to attract the right profile player, sell them on and to create, you know, this revenue stream? Um, and, you know, I think what I, I'm actually OK with it, if, if we end up selling uh, both of these players, given their ages, what we got out of them, which was good performance uh, domestically and, you know, probably weren't going to make that much of a difference in Europe one way or the other. And we make money on them. And we kind of keep that train rolling as far as the turnover, you know, as we talked about the higher frequency uh, and if we continue to hopefully get smarter and how we're, we're doing it. But, you know, I, the, the, I'm writing a piece uh, that will probably go out this week on the Celtic way, looking at, you know, 
comparing and contrasting Nisbet with Jackamacus. And again, it's not an issue of which is better or worse player. It's how do they fit with the system? Um, how can you reasonably expect someone with Nesbitt's performance track record, if he were to play for Ange at Celtic, what might that look like theoretically? Um, and where the value is in Jackamacus in the broader market. And I, I, I'll put this, I, I know I'm ranting here, but I, I think you'll enjoy the stat, um, Alan. It, I looked at Atlanta and Yurawa, uh, the, you know, kind of the two clubs mm. that are supposedly interested in Jackamacus. Their style of play is the antithesis of what Jackamacus enjoyed at Venlo and at Celtic, right. which is the less he touches the ball, the better. Yes. <laughs> and uh, for example, Josef Martinez, who was Atlanta's primary striker last season, and their their possession stats are 20% less than Celtic domestically, um, had 50% more touches. Right. <laughs> right. Uh, that would get ugly after about 30 minutes with Jack Marcus. <laughs> yep. Your, your Rawa's strike, a primary striker, um, was about 25% higher, but they only have the ball like you know 50% of the game, 52% of the game. Um, so this goes back to you know the point that you've made that he, he's been a really good fit relative to the touches that he gets he gets uh, in Ange's system. Um but would you spend fifteen million to have Jack Amakis touch the ball twenty five times a game? If you do, I think you're insane. I mean, like you said, I don't know all the human aspects of it and what his desires and what his family feel about being in Scotland and all those things. Absolutely, they're vital, really. But from a, just from a purely footballing perspective, I would suspect Celtic is as good as he would could ever get in terms of the fit to the style of play, the age he is. He's get he'll always get good minutes. Um, you know, he gets at least 30 minutes. And as you said about stat padding, um, you know, I, I need to do a wider piece on this, but I'm pretty sure your average XG and your average expected assists are higher coming off the bench than they are starting for Celtic, right? Meaning, meaning, you know, Celtic's five substitutions against most of the opposition in that league mean you come on with 30 minutes to go, you're, you're, there's a good chance that something's going to happen for you. So, you know, from a personal perspective, you, you, you know, you, someone else has done the hard work in a sense. You're, you're there to then sort of finish things off. So I just think it's an environment where he's liked, he's well liked by the support. His limitations are catered for in the way that Celtic play. Uh, and there are massive upsides uh, in terms of his strengths. And just the environment, if, 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 if he could reach an agreement on the money, then to me, it would be perfect for him to stay, for, to be honest with you. But it may not be all about the football, it may be to do with completely different things. So we just don't we just don't know in that in that regard yeah it, i think it, you're it, right it, i think if, if, if the market is smart it's going to have to be a very smart and specific football club that's going to say he's the guy we want playing up front for us well and this is again i think if we put this back to simple human terms if you know i think everyone's seen or most everyone has seen or heard the report that he was on 11 grand a week which again for most of us is a lot of money but if you're if your lifespan of, of employment is this, like he's got not, not going to make that for the next 40 years and then get to retire. Right. So he's probably going to make that maybe for the next five years, maybe six, seven years. And then that's it. Like, what's he going to do for the rest of his life? What's his marketable skill? Like, is he going to go become a coach? I mean, you know, Academy coaches don't make a lot of money right in, in the industry. So if he's going to stay in football, there's not a lot of upside economically to staying in the industry. So is 500 grand a year life-changing money over, you know, four or five years? I, it's good money. It, a lot of us would like it, but it's not FU money where you could say, oh, you know what? If I could turn that 500 grand a year into 1.3 million a year, I, I'm going to turn that down. Right? I mean, that's insane. Who would do that it would, when, when your life, ex, you know, when your career expectancy is maybe only another four or five years? So if he can go to Japan and, and make a million a year, I, I, again, as a father, you have to <laughs> like you got young kids and a wife and, you know, it's like, what, how could you turn that down? That would be absolutely insane above and beyond all the football stuff. Right. So, I mean, it, it, to me, it, it's just one of those situations where, again, if I'm if I'm Celtic, I don't want to pay him 30 grand a week. I don't think he's worth it. Um, yeah. I'm not saying that Celtics point of view. I'm just saying that would be my analysis. Yeah. 
I think it, I think they can replace what he's doing for way less than that. I'm not saying we shouldn't spend 30 grand on a striker either, by the way. Um, but we, I think we get one that's materially better uh, if we were, and then we're smart about it. Um, so it's just one of those situations where it's probably a win-win for all involved if he moves on mm-hmm. and everyone's just be happy that he did as well as he did while he was here. He ends up winning, you know, financially and hopefully for his career and his life for him and his family. And, you know, Celtic moves on and hopefully we do a good job in replacing him. Yeah, I think that's fair. I, think I agree with all that. I think with, with Juranovic, it's it's probably more likely that because of some of the names that were linked to him, you know, the Chelsea's, Man United, Barcelona, yep. Atletico Madrid, you know, his, his, as the phrase goes, his head had been turned. Uh, and therefore, perhaps, yeah. you know, an, an Andrew would spot that like, within seconds sort of things. So that that's there's probably a bit of that. Now, if the reality is that that's all been, you know, people looking, but no one's actually committing, then... Maybe you maybe maybe you're faced with a different a different conversation, but we've still got you know two weeks of the transfer window to go, unfortunately. <laughs> so we'll probably we'll probably find out. But yeah, yeah, and that that's all of everything. You know, people leak stories to journalists for all kinds of reasons. Um, so whether that Romano report was was uh, a legit one, or whether that's a negotiating tactic because he'd prefer to stay in continental Europe, which again, given his. Uh, he's Greek and he's got a young family. Does he want to go to Japan or does he want to go to, you know, somewhere far, far, far away from his family um, or his wife's family, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, You know, so, so maybe the number that reported number is nowhere near what it's going to end up being. Um, These are things could all be negotiating ploys uh, and that wouldn't be surprising at all. Um, so let's 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 talk about Kevin Nisbet a little bit because I'm curious. I, I haven't we haven't talked about this at all. And again, it, it might just be uh, some combination of you know newspaper clickbait and um, and uh, agent talk. But um, what 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 is your impression of him as a player? Yeah, it's I'm not, I'm not, oh okay. So I mean, there's, a, there's a couple of things I'll sort of try and declare in terms of sort of being honest. Really, one is. On the one hand, you know, I'd like nothing more than the idea that you know Celtic fills its team with young, young Scottish players. I think that's a, that's a great uh, thing to aspire to. On the other hand, I, I do have a bit of, I do have a bit of, um, I suppose, bias really against other players in the SPFL. Some of it's to do with the fact you see them a lot, and therefore they don't seem that remarkable uh, to me. Um, and, and therefore, you know, in some, you know, you're almost sort of like they, they need to do a lot to kind of get get my attention. I mean, I'm I'm just looking now at sort of Nesbitt's data for last season in the SPFL, where you know, obviously, he had a bad injury um, about three quarters of the way through the season. But you know, he played, he, play, he made had 26 appearances. He scored five goals. Expected goals was something like 8.5. So maybe it's a little bit there that you sort of think, okay, so that that that. Maybe get get bumped up a bit in terms of his output, but is is you know he was averaging about 0.4 goals and assists, expected goals and assists sort of per per ninety minutes. None of that particularly grabs my attention when I've seen him play. Is there anything that stands out? I mean, I I, I have in the past done quite detailed scouting reports on players that have played for other clubs in the league that I kind of like the look of from the, the most. Probably the famous, most famous. I say famous. I don't. I don't mean that. <laughs> in terms of thousands of people read it, I just meant the one that I enjoyed doing the most was was John McGinn. That that, that, that gives you some ideas to how many years ago that was, right? And and to me, you know, I, I kind of approached the article because I'd seen a lot of John McGinn because of the number of times what we play Hibs and so forth. Um, very open minded and not particularly um, sort of thinking one way or the other that oh yeah, it'd be a great buy. But then you know when I actually dug into him a bit and studied him, I, I thought, yeah, he's, he's a player that Celtic should really, should really be interested in. But he's, he's, I can't think of another player in the SPFL that I've seen that I've, I've, I've cared enough about or been intrigued enough about to actually do a deep dive on their on, on their performances. Um, and so that probably tells you something <laughs> in itself. Um, so I, I, I'll be honest with you, I've not seen anything. I would just think sort of more qualitatively. He doesn't have, I don't, I've not noticed things that, you know, doesn't have exceptional pace. He's not exceptionally either, you know, big or strong. I've not noticed his movement being exceptional. There's nothing about him that I've 
really thought, oh wow, that's that's there's a lot of potential there, sort of thing. Much as and, I, and I'm, I, you know, I am always keen to see young Scottish players and always hope that they'll progress and go on to have good careers. But that's just my honest opinion, and and, and some of it might be just over familiarity bias. And I'm perfectly willing to hold up my hand and and say that maybe it's just because I've I've seen him quite a few times and. I've maybe not given him the, the the attention that he he may well deserve, and it's just my and playing against a team that we're probably got eighty percent possession against. Maybe he's just not caught my attention. Fair enough, but um, yeah. So I don't know. You've probably got a more objective view on, on that than I have. Yeah. I, well, I I again only because I ju- I just uh, did some poking around because um, I hadn't looked at him that closely either because I I don't spend that much time looking at uh, players on other teams. Um, for for a lot of the reasons that you just mentioned, unless something sticks out, like something you know, somebody's weird. Um, like I, I forget the guy who's uh, plays defense for Hearts. He's a, he's an odd uh, uh, in a good way. I mean, he's, um, he's left footed. I forget, but he's uh, Kingsley. Plays, Kingsley, yeah, yeah. King, Kingsley's yeah. kind of an outlier. But he's uh, about nearly thirty now, I think. Right, right. But you know, again, for Hearts, yeah. you know, yeah, it's yeah, like, oh, yeah. this guy's actually really good for Hearts level uh, relative to his performance data. So that kind of thing, I'll, I'll notice once in a while. So I hadn't looked into this, but yeah. I, and again, I'll just throw some numbers. Yeah, I remember. Who was, I remember. I remember you asking. About, I remember asking you about who was the guy that played for Motherwell, the left-footed defender. And I was asking you about him because I thought, oh wow, he just there's just something about him I really like. I remember who it was. Yeah, I don't yeah, remember. I didn't remember. remember. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that's that's my uh, that's my COVID fog brain. Um, <laughs> well, I could remember. I but, <laughs> so again, just for context, and, and this is a little preview of the article I'm writing. So over the duration of Nisbet's tenure at um, Hibs, now this isn't the exact games he's in, but the, the team averages over his tenure, which obviously was out for a good bit injured. They've averaged 1.14 in XG per game. Um, Celtic over uh, Jack Amakis's tenure has almost been double that, 2.25. Okay, so m- much bigger sample size, obviously, for Nisbet. So this 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 is an exercise, not as far as like a a linear um, analysis. So if you look at on a percentage basis, again, I, I didn't expect this to be the case. It was just wow, this is actually really weird. Uh, they both have been ex- almost exactly 31 and a half percent of their team's XG. Mm-hmm which I just thought right. was weird uh, mm-hmm. as to how, how similar they were. And uh, relative to their style of play, okay, so, how you know, Jack Amakis playing for Ange at Celtic against that competition versus Nisbet at, at Hibs. Um, Jack Amakis has had, um, let's see, I have it right here, 71% of his shots have been within 12 yards. Okay, so this goes back to this him mm. having been to you, your insightful analysis, which he was a perfect signing because so much of, in that respect, because we have so many of those chances are created domestically against um, uh, Scottish teams. Um, and Nisbet at Hibs, only 31% of his shots have been within 12 yards. Right. So again, you just think about that. The volume of shot and now some of that could be he's making dumb decisions. He's not, you know, he's shooting from 30 yards when he shouldn't be. Um, but when you take the fact that he's played more of a traditional striker's role where he's been on the ball, you know, even given the disparity in in um in possession, way more than than Jackamacus has at Celtic. Um, and then he hasn't had anywhere near the kind of opportunities because of the system dynamics. Mm. Um, so that's basically what I'm doing is I'm trying to normalize for a lot of that and say, Hey, like, you know, in theory, if a guy like Nisbet played for Celtic, what in Jack Amakis's role, what kind of numbers could he put up? And so far I'm like, uh, you know, probably not that much different. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, but he presumably cost a quite a significant transfer fee. Yeah. That's the, yeah. I'm not even that, saying all that, that stuff. Yeah. 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 I, 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 I started out the, basically the piece saying, you know, this is not what I want to have. I I want to be more aspirational than this. But again, his profile, I think, would be for a third striker, um, you know, someone who can kind of produce at a Jack Amakis level domestically. (laughs) Um, You know, my my desire would be to have somebody signed that actually pushes Kyogo and Mm -hmm. and maybe turns Kyogo into 1A. Um, Mm -hmm. 
and targeting that depth at the European level, that kind of thing. But, um, but yeah, I just, I, I found it a, a fascinating exercise because, um, it is, it highlights how different this Celtic under Ange animal is that we've talked about before and repeatedly, but that, that scope, meaning that, you know, 71% versus 31%. I mean, that's just a huge difference mm -hmm. in, in the quality of chances that a striker gets, um, and, and, you know, we, we get, we, I think we misattribute a lot of, you know, you guys, you look at guys like Gary Hooper, you look at guys like, uh, uh, Griffiths, you know, why, why don't, you know, uh, why, why don't we manufacture these strikers that do so well at Celtic and then go on and then, you know, cause the situation really is completely different than what they're going to experience. And, and I think that's even compounded more based off of how and utilizes, um, his yeah. strikers. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, Gary Hooper type of striker would be immense in the system. Yeah, um, but it, we all, but they almost don't make him like that anymore. You know, the, the role of the striker is, you know, almost, almost you know, even Jack Amakis. You don't see many people. I don't remember seeing many players like him, or you probably didn't notice them because they were just awful, probably playing in in, in unsuitable systems, <laughs> sort of thing. You know, because uh, I even remember players like you know, it's Italian strikers like um, you know Luca Toni who. You know, very well regarded, lots of caps, won loads of trophies, but it's just a great big lump. You know, it's like what a career for just being a massive lump. But if you're a massive lump that you know stands in the six yard or can get it bops it in all the time pretty regularly, then fair play. Yeah, they, so that's kind of they, what we, that's kind of what we need. As <laughs> long as they're not playing him as a false nine, right? <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah. Well, uh, we are up. I just noticed we're up after over the hour. Yeah, yeah. Here, so yeah, let's, I'm, let's, on, I'm on overtime now. I don't know about you. Yeah, well, you, I know you have a hard stop here. So let's uh, let's we're, wrap we're in danger. Up. We're in danger of wabbit, 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 you know, aren't we? We that's want, right we don't, want to, we don't want to do that well this is this is what happens when uh, the adult lets the children around to, to run the show like yeah. enda has here so um well everyone that joined live thank you uh everyone that listens um whether through spotify itunes you catch us on youtube uh at huddle breakdown on uh, twitter alan is uh, celtic by numbers so check out check all his uh, volumes of work that he puts out um, and uh, everyone, thanks for listening and watching, and we'll, we'll catch you next time. Enjoy the games this week.